This week is Parshas Bishalach, and we are at the absolute climax of the Exodus. It's a packed Parsha with lots of action. The Jewish people are fleeing from Pharaoh. They're fleeing from Egypt. Egypt wants to evict them and get rid of them so fast because of the death of the firstborn. Everyone's dying. Get out of here quickly. And the Parsha begins. The Jewish people are taking a circuitous route to avoid some of the potential dangers that they may encounter. And they eventually find themselves at the edge of the water. Now, Pharaoh has a change of heart, and he decides to rally and rile his people to go chase the Jews. Of course, this is going to be a grave blunder because of what's going to happen. And there's a dramatic standoff where the Jewish people are surrounded by all sides by danger, and their backs are to the sea. And in a dramatic episode The Jewish people, Moshe starts praying. God says, don't pray, just walk into the water. They walk into the water and the sea splits. It splits for them. They're able to walk in dry land. Whereas for the Egyptians, the water crashes down upon them and destroys them. And as a result of this amazing, miraculous episode, the Jewish people erupt in spontaneous song. And there's a very lengthy song that they're singing thanking God for all the miracles and all the saving that he did for them. Afterwards, the Parsha takes a, a very sharp turn because they they leave this momentous, inspiring event and they travel for three days and they don't find any water. And that, in fact, happens twice in the Parsha where the Jewish people are stuck without the basic necessities that we all need. They, they're stuck without water twice and without food Once, and of course, they start to complain. Three days without water, who wouldn't? And they finally end up in a city called Mara. Mara actually means bitter, and that's why the Torah says the reason why it's called Mara is because the water there is is bitter and you can't drink it. And people complain, what should we do? We're all going to die. Moshe prays, and God shows him a stick, throws it into the water, the water sweetened, and everyone has enough to drink. And then that section ends with a very interesting verse. The verse states, this is chapter 15, verse 26. Moshe tells the Jewish people, If you hearken diligently to the voice of Hashem your God, and do what is just in His eyes, and give ear, listen, to His commandments, and observe all His decrees, then any of the diseases that I placed in Egypt I will not bring upon you, for I am Hashem, your healer. So there's an interesting uh, juxtaposition here. The people are told, and this is, like like we said last week, this is the time in their history where the Jewish people are going to be given a large amount of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are going to begin now to be conveyed to the Jewish people in great quantities. And here, Moshe tells the Jewish people, all you need to do is listen, observe, heed, hearken, give ear to the commandments and to the decrees of God. Everything bad that happened to Egypt won't happen to you because God is the healer. So the question is, obviously, what is the connection between the idea of observing the mitzvos have to do with God being a healer? How do these points connect? How does the fact that the Jewish people do mitzvos, how does that result in in God healing them? So Rashi says that 
when it says that God is the healer, what this is telling us is that mitzvahs, the Torah and mitzvahs that the Almighty are commanding us are similar to the doctor's instructions to the patient. It's just like a physician would tell a patient, don't eat these things, don't eat that things, it may cause you to become sick. Or if you are already sick, have these prescriptions and these medications, so too the Almighty is giving us mitzvos because they heal us. And thus, the root cause of illness and all that happened in Egypt was a result of the people being spiritually ill. And therefore, the Almighty is telling you, I'm your healer, I'm your doctor, I'm your physician, and I will give you the mitzvos which equate to being medication, remedies for the illness. And therefore, if you abide by my instructions, you'll be healthy. This is an interesting idea because, like we said, we're now being introduced to mitzvos in general. And a lot of people struggle with the idea of mitzvos. Well, why does anybody tell me to do this? Why did they tell me to do that? There's so many instructions. It's so overwhelming. There's so many details. Why does God really care what I eat or what I do on Shabbos? That's a common question that people have. And here, it's an interesting answer. We're told that the reason why we do mitzvos is because God is a physician and this is what the doctor orders. The doctor orders that we do these things, these practices, these activities to be healthy. Now, it's interesting because here, mitzvos are being portrayed as being remedies for a certain malady, for certain illnesses. Elsewhere, we are given a somewhat different characterization of what mitzvahs are about. In many sources, and it's hinted to in the Talmud, the Talmud actually compares the human as a uh, a model of mitzvahs. And the Talmud tells us, and kind of an interesting, intriguing idea, that just like the mitzvahs are comprised of 613 instructions, so to the human is comprised of 613 parts. And the other commentaries explain what this actually means is that there is a corresponding limb or organ or sinew within every person to each mitzvah. Theoretically, you could list all the mitzvahs, 1 to 613, and you could have a parallel list of all the parts of a person, 1 to 613, and maybe we don't know exactly which one corresponds to which, but there's a mitzvah, one mitzvah corresponding to each different part of a person. And thus, there's a perfect match. So what does that mean? So the commentators explain that what this means is that we know that the human, you would, the human exists on two different planes. There's the spiritual plane and the physical plane, like the, the body and the soul. And just like the body, it needs oxygen. If someone is frostbitten, or if someone has like their circulation is cut off, that particular organ that doesn't have the blood, doesn't have the oxygen, will die. And of course, we need food and we need sleep. There's a lot of things that we need to do to maintain just the health of our body. Similarly, our soul also exists in that way. It also needs to be fed. It needs to be tended to. It needs to be nourished. It needs sustenance to continue existing. Now, unlike the body, which needs physical sustenance, the soul needs spiritual sustenance. And thus the commentaries explain that each mitzvah 
it's the equivalent of food for the soul. That just like the body needs food and needs sustenance, so too the soul also needs food and needs sustenance. And each mitzvah, it's a spiritual act, and God is telling us, I'm going to feed your soul by giving you the exact recipes of what the soul needs to eat. The body needs food, the soul needs mitzvos. Well, what kind of mitzvos does the soul need? Says the Almighty, I'll give you 613 instructions. Each one of these activities or thoughts or behaviors is the equivalent of a spiritual meal for a given part of a person. And thus, you do them all, you'll be fully sustained on a spiritual sense. So it's interesting. We have these two, it seems like they're competing theories as to the role that mitzvos play within a person. On one hand, we're told that mitzvos are food. On the other hand, we're told that mitzvos, well, they're medicine. And I think there's somewhat of a conflict here because if Torah and mitzvos are medicine, that implies that we're ill. Whereas food, well, everyone needs food. So which one are mitzvos? Are mitzvos there to remedy someone who is unwell or are mitzvos there to feed someone who is well? I think there's an important answer here that really reveals the role of mitzvos in general and the status of a human and how a human is affected by mitzvos. And a little bit of an introduction. The conflict, that the primary conflict that exists in our lives is how are we going to live and identify? Like we said earlier, we have a body, we have a soul. The choice and the tension that exists is between these two competing identities. You know, a soul behaves one way, a body behaves a different way. How we choose to behave, that determines which one of our competing identities we're going to choose, we're going to lean towards, we're going to identify with. And ideally, which part of us is lasting? We know that the body actually regenerates itself. And thus, with the exception of some cells, all of the cells in your body are being constantly replaced and updated. So how could we say that we are a body when the body itself is constantly changing? Whereas the soul doesn't change. And we know the body has a given fixed shelf life. Maybe you'll live to 100 or 115 or 150, but the body always dies. That's inevitable. Even Mesushelach, Methuselah, Adam, they lived to hundreds and hundreds of years. So what? They're still dead. But, But that's the destiny of all bodies. Whereas the soul lives forever. The soul is eternal. And thus, the conflict that we have in our lives, the primary conflict, according to Jewish philosophy, is which one of these two competing identities are we going to choose? Are we going to choose the lasting eternal one, what we really are, or the fleeting ephemeral one, the body? Now, by design, by default, we are oriented to favor the body over the soul. We identify, We the, the body resonates. We've sensed the needs of the body. We don't sense the needs of the soul. You could live and not feel anything without doing any mitzvahs, without studying Torah. Whereas if you don't eat for 12 hours, your stomach starts to grumble. That demonstrates the difference and the, the pole position that our body has over, over our soul. We sense the needs of the body. We don't sense the needs of the soul. And that is essentially an illness. 
just like if you have a, a patient who's sick and they're refusing to eat because they don't have an appetite. That in, indeed is a symptom of a certain underlying illness. So we're ill because we don't want to feed our soul. I.e., we identify as a body, we don't think that the needs of the soul are real, and therefore we don't tend to them. And thus, mitzvos are both food and medicine for our soul. How does that work? Medicine is given to a sick patient, someone who's ill. We're ill because we don't recognize that we need the mitzvos. But what happens when someone is given medicine? Well, they get better and they start to feel better and they their illness goes away. Thus, we're told here is that mitzvos are like medicine because we are ill by default and thus we don't want to eat. However, when we are force-fed mitzvos, what mitzvos actually do is they empower and awaken and enliven and give nourishment to the soul. And that infuses life into our soul. And it's food for the soul, but it's also medicine for the soul. Because you give it food and you give it medicine and slowly but surely it starts to regain its appetite. And thus the first mitzvah that you do, well, maybe that you have to force feed. Whereas the second mitzvah, well, as a result of the first mitzvah, your soul is a little bit healthier now. And therefore, it's a little bit more alive within you. And as a result, you're going to feel a little bit more natural in doing the second mitzvah. And then mitzvahs are are going to transition into being food, i.e. you're going to recognize that it's food because you're going to become naturally desirous of it. So there's a very deep insights here in 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 our parsha and in, in the way it presents mitzvos and i want to just end with a teaching from the rabbi yona in the commentary on pirkei avos which really captures this idea uh, pirkei avos chapters of the fathers in, ch- in chapter 4 2 we read uh, about a puzzling property of mitzvos it says ben azai says Run towards a minor mitzvah as you would to a stringent mitzvah and flee from sin. It's encouraging us to not just say, you know what? I'll do the important mitzvahs. I'll go to Yom Kippur. I'll do Shabbos. But everything else, the more minor mitzvahs, eh, not a big deal. Says Ben Azai in the Mishnah, run to even a minor mitzvah as you would to a major mitzvah and run away from sin. Why? Why is it so important to chase and pursue and seek out mitzvahs? Because a mitzvah begets another mitzvah, and a sin begets another sin. For the reward of a mitzvah is another mitzvah, and the reward of a sin is another sin. So what this Mishnah is telling us is that you do one mitzvah, you get another mitzvah. But it's interesting that it says it in two two different ways. It says that a mitzvah begets another mitzvah, and it also says that the reward of one mitzvah is another mitzvah, which both of them seem to imply the same kind of structure. You do one mitzvah, you get the other one. But why does it need to say it twice? It seems like it's redundant. So Rabbeinu Yonah, in his commentary, he explains that really this happens in two different ways. A mitzvah leading to another mitzvah happens in a natural and a supernatural way. So the supernatural way is, is that if someone does one mitzvah, the Almighty says, you know what? I'm going to enable them to do another mitzvah. That's something that comes from the heavens. 
So it's a miracle. That's the, the Almighty says, okay, you did something good. I'm going to reward you with an opportunity to do another mitzvah because you chose this path. But then he says, interestingly, there's another way that mitzvos lead to other mitzvos. It's not supernatural at all. Rather, a mitzvah spurs another in its wake because the first mitzvah makes someone identify more as a soul. It makes someone's soul, it feeds the soul after all, and it gives it a little more strength and it awakens it within him. And thus, the second mitzvah is actually easier than the first mitzvah because now someone is naturally going to be inclined to choose the second mitzvah because of the transformation that happened to him with the medicine, with the medicinal quality of the first mitzvah. I think it's just an important insight. We're about to begin the transition of the Torah where it's going to primarily focus on mitzvahs. Of course, there's many stories and narratives and episodes and the like, but for the most part, for the rest of the Torah, it's going to be the bulk of the Torah is going to be about mitzvos. And it, I think it's important every once in a while to think about the big picture. I like this, to, to look at the forest and not just see a bunch of little trees, but to see the picture in general. Or there's a modern interpretation of that metaphor. You could re- zoom into a picture until you see just a few pixels. And that gives you much more of a narrow focus on a given point. Whereas there is of course, a great benefit to zoom out and see the whole picture. So what's the whole picture of mitzvos? Here we get a little bit of an idea. Mitzvos relate to the soul, which is why many of them don't exactly resonate within us by default because we don't identify as a soul. But the way it operates is both as food to feed the soul, but also as medicine to heal the person and make them change and begin to shift their identity to that of their soul. Very important idea for this week's Parsha. And I'm glad you listened. Thank you so much. As always, you could email me, rabbiwalby at gmail.com for any comments, any questions. Don't uh, hesitate to do that. I respond to every email that I get. And uh, as well, check out all the other podcasts that I have on Jewish history and Jewish philosophy on Torah 101, the brand new one, Eternal Ethics on Perkei Avos. I hope you enjoy. I'll see you next week. All the best.